Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Stiles. And in this episode, we'll be focusing on the evolving roster. We'll talk about players such as Raphael Harvey-Pinard, Jesse Lennon, Gianni Fairbrother, Justin Baran, a healthy Joel Tisdale, and draft picks such as Caden Gooley, Yuri Slavkowski, Jan Masik, or walk-ons from preseason like Arbor Akchat, as well as others who might fit into the roster now or in the very near future, such as Sean Farrell, Joshua Roy, Riley Kidney, Logan Mylou, Philip Mazar, Owen Beck, Lane Hudson, William Trudeau, Blake Biondi, Jaden Struble, Matthias Norlander, and recent draft picks like Pateri Nurmi, Miguel Torgany, Xavier Simonow, and unknowns like Jacob Dobbs, Frederick Tachau, Joe Verbetic, Daniel Sobolev, Dmitry Kostenko. Add all that up, and to go along with Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, Jordan Harris, you've got one extremely, not only exciting, but loaded roster with a lot of talent. Which makes one think, if anyone can look at a list of talent and come away thinking that the cupboards are bare, it's not exciting, there's not a lot of talent on its way, wow, then your definition of talent differs greatly from mine. Because that is a lot of talent by one team. Whether it be walk-ons, draft picks, acquisitions, that's a pretty big list right there. That's a lot of players. There's not many other teams in the league that can boast that kind of talent level. And for a lot of people still saying, well, you know, the Canadians don't really have an all-star player coming i'd say several of those players can be that several of those players can be very very special players and there's not a lot of teams with one special player or a lot of special players on it and montreal could be the home to many that way so before we get into that this year's number one draft pick yuri slavkowski there's already people doubting should he play should he not play should he play on the big team should he play in the minor league should he start his season in the ahl and did the montreal canadians draft the right player should they have gone with shane wright here's a thought how about we let both Yuri Slavkowski and Shane Wright play and see how they're doing in five years. How about we let them find their own way rather than trying to find faults, rather than trying to anoint them as to who's better or who's not. I think both teams that drafted the players drafted players that they felt best fit their system. They drafted players that best fit what they're trying to do fit their system, fit the players that they would play with, the type of makeup the team's going to have, the chemistry the team's going to have, the players both addressed positionally and size needs for both organizations, in this case Montreal and Seattle. What's the obsession with second-guessing them, especially before they've ever even laced up the skates in the National Hockey League? They both come from two very different backgrounds, and there's a discussion that's been had and it's been around for a long time that perhaps players of international teams might just be a better fit in Montreal personality-wise because Montreal itself is a very international city. It's truly the definition of bilingual better than any other city in the world. European players tend to do, for the most part, well there. And a couple of examples in case, well, who's been a European player that's done well? Oh, I don't know, Saku Koivu, uh, Mats Nasland, Arturi Lettinen, potentially Yuri Slavkowski, Philip Mazar. They've had their share of European players, and there's many others than that. Those are just the highlights. How about Andre Markov? So there's a lot of players that have done really well there. But how about we just let them kind of play it out and see what they look like in three years, five years? Because the problem with this is there's people out there that are armchair quarterbacking, looking back at the 2019 draft as an example, going, well, I mean, you can clearly see who should have gone first and who these teams should have gone after. 
Yeah, anybody can do that when they have three years of history, which at the time the 2019 draft was happening, nobody had that. So, of course, people can look back and say, oh, well, absolutely, they should have drafted this guy. I mean, look how much better he's turned out. Yet you didn't have that information going into the draft. You had projections. That's a lot different than concrete three years later, how are they doing in the actual league that they're drafted in for and to play in. There's a little bit different of a scenario there. So for all these people, it's like, oh, yeah, these GMs have no idea what they're doing. It's like, no, we got some armchair quarterbacks who really don't have an opinion. Armchair quarterbacking things doesn't really count. Anybody can do that with information once it's all been gathered. You can look a lot smarter than the other guy. That's not a legitimate comparison, even remotely. Also, if you look at the Montreal Canadiens right now, center is not actually a position of need. Now, I'm going to love the responses that this might generate because people will sit there and go, oh my God, are you telling me they don't need Connor Bedard next year? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, but if you look at their team right now, they're pretty solidified down the middle. You have Nick Suzuki, you have Kirby Doc, you have Christian Dvorak, you've got Jake Evans, you've got Rem Picklick, and there's many others that can play center, but you already have five. Certainly, there is a room for a generational talent if they are to play a season that causes that pick to come to fruition. That's not what's being said here, though. So really, with the addition of Kirby Doc on draft day, for the trade that has Alexander Romanoff end up with the New York Islanders and a fourth-round pick, you end up with Kirby Doc. He's 21 years old. He hasn't been given a fair shot. He hasn't been in the best of development environments at this point in his career. He's a massive six foot four, 200-pound center, which Shane Wright was not. He's three years more developed, even though he hasn't been in a great developmental environment. But he's got three years of experience, and he's still young enough with the coach that the Montreal Canadiens have now, very moldable. Martin Saint-Louis can put him in a very, very competitive environment that will bring the best out for him and have him playing the best hockey that he can. And the coach has all the ability to make that difference with any organization. Montreal has needed size for an eternity. Everybody constantly complains how they don't have the power forward, how they don't have any size. They don't have a player that can play it any way that you want. Physically, skating, smooth offensive, in your face. Guess what Slavkowski is? He's all of that. And it just at 18 years old, he's 6'4", approaching 230 pounds. Where is he going to top out at? And rest assured, with the way Montreal has put together their development department, they will keep an eye on him. It's not like he's going to get out of shape or something. The kid can hit like a truck, okay? How many times are you going to get hit by a freight train and sit there and go back for more? He's got that ability. He can play in the corners. He can play out in front of the net. He can pass. He can shoot. Imagine the amount of passes he can take from Caulfield and Suzuki or Doc and Sean Farrell or another prospect that comes up that he can play with. Imagine what that would look like. That's a pretty scary offense, and they've got the ability to do that. Shane Wright, on the other hand, personally, I think it's going to turn out great that he went to Seattle, where he doesn't have to worry about a media coming after him and being under the microscope for every single thing that he does. He can actually relax. He can actually blend in. Seattle's first-round pick last year was a center. So now they got a one-two punch. Maybe he's better than their first-round pick last year. Maybe he's the number two center. He can open up. He can relax. He can play his game and not have to worry about explaining every little detail that he does. That's probably a better situation for him. And at six foot 190, to what degree is he physically mature at this point? 
How much bigger is he going to get? I don't have that answer. Nobody does. Is he going to get as big as Slikowski? Probably not. I doubt he's going to grow another four or five inches. I doubt he's going to put on another 30 plus pounds. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll end up being like six foot one, 225 or something. To be determined. But Slavkowski is physically ready right now. He's been on an international stage. His biggest negative right now, if you want to call it a negative, his biggest really inexperience is a better way to put it, is the fact that he's played a smaller sample of games. But he's played on an international rink. He's played in international competition. He's played against people older than him. So there's something to be said for that as well. So if we can just kind of let them unravel themselves, determine their careers, and then maybe go back and play prejudgment games, probably is going to be a lot more accurate. Here's a hypothetical to throw out. Imagine lines that have Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, Uri Slavkowski. Line two might have Philip Mazar, Jan Mysik, and Sean Farrell. Think of that as a top six. And you can flip those around. Maybe you have a complete Czechoslovakian European line. Maybe you have Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, and Sean Farrell. And you have Philip Mazar or Jan Mysak and Uri Slavkowski. Who knows? But that's just your top six. On top of all of that, you have a line that hasn't been even created yet for Joshua Roy, Riley Kidney, Owen Beck, and many others. That's what I mean. This is a talent pool to get very, very excited about. There's a lot of skill. There's a lot of, as they like to say, 200-foot players. There's a lot of gamers in this group. There are players that they have way beyond their physical age right now as far as their smarts on the ice. Montreal has definitely taken a very different direction in its last three drafts. Its last three drafts are going to produce a phenomenal amount of skilled players for this organization. And just to wrap up, Shane Wright is a topic for this week's show or in the current discussions that we're having. In his own words, he's a cerebral player. Some people may think that translates to a boring game. If you think about it, there was a player in 1984 drafted behind the number one pick in that year's draft, Mario Lemieux, by the name of Kirk Muller. There's a lot of similarities between Kirk Muller's game and Shane Wright's game. That's not a bad position to be in. Kirk Muller did okay. Kirk Muller had a really good career. So for everybody that says, well, you know, I think Shane Wright's going to be a better player, Shane Wright's going to be a different player. Uri Slavkowski and Shane Wright are not going to be the same. They're going to have very different NHL careers. But it's still, like I said earlier, it's a little early to be determining who's going to fail, who's going to succeed, who Montreal should have drafted. I think both organizations looked at what they needed, what they're building, what's going to fit their team system, and drafted that player. So let's turn the page on this to another bizarre topic that's appearing in many places with the continuous obsession of bringing back either former players or going after players that are going to create more excessive contracts that have to be dealt with later on. One of the biggest things the Canadians have been dealing with currently is trying to unload some really bad contracts and getting cap space. It's one of the main reasons I never understood the whole Pierre-Luc Dubois thing, because that's going to be a really expensive scenario that Montreal is not in a position to benefit from right now. And in two years, if they want him, and depending on their development of an organization at that point, they can go after him then and don't have to give away and undercut and mortgage the team's future and all the draft work and everything else that they've done in the meantime. That's one. The other situation that quickly appeared after Matthew Kachuk's trade from Calgary was, oh my God, Jonathan Huberto is going to be a free agent at the end of the season. We can go after him too. We can bring another Francophone home. 
He's a little old to be doing that with. You don't need another player on the edge of his 30s right now that's going to cost you 8 to $10 million. And as we found out, of course, he has signed with Calgary a long-term contract with a cap hit of $10.5 million a year. How would that stack up to go along with Carey Price's $10.5 million? So now you got two players, current cap limit, $82.5 million. Let's say it just went up to 84. Okay. $21 million wrapped up in two players in their 30s. Does anybody really think that's a good idea? That would be really interesting to have that conversation. But now everybody's like, oh, we can have a PK Subban reunion. Look, I was a PK fan. I loved everything about his game. I think he was an electrifying player. As a matter of fact, arguably, he was probably the first player since Gio Fleur that could allow or could have or that would bring Montreal fans to the edge of their seat every time he touched the puck. I was a huge fan. I think Montreal missed a tremendous opportunity to make him captain. And I think he should have been named captain instead of Max Pacioretty. And I'm not going to sit here and take pot shots at Max Pacioretty either. But if you're going to get rid of P.K. Subban or Max Pacioretty because of some disagreement that existed in the locker room at the time, Pacioretty would have been gone in my book. P.K. Subban, I think, was a far greater value to the team as a player, as a marketing tool. And obviously his love for the city was unquestionable, as was Max Pacioretty's. They both players loved the city. That was never a problem for either one of those. But in my opinion, P.K. Subban was worth far more to Montreal than Pacioretty was. However, now is not the time to bring P.K. Subban back. There seems to be an obsession with the fact that now Jeff Petrie, who ironically nobody liked last year, well now he's gone, so Montreal is a huge void on the right side. No, they don't. You still have... Chris Weidman, you still have Corey Sherman, you still have Justin Barron, you still have Matthias Norlander, who can play both right and left defense, you have Jordan Harris that can play right and left defense, so there's no gaping hole on the right side. I don't know what everybody's suddenly panicking about and just in a state of chaos about. There's no gaping hole. Not to mention the fact, why are we trying to plug holes with veterans? Let's see what preseason brings and the skill sets that exist then. Because I have a funny feeling, and I'd be willing, I'm not a betting kind of person, but I have a funny feeling there's going to be a lot of rookies that are going to make a lot of noise. Because the people coming are not like your traditional, oh my God, they're going to be so immature. They're going to need a lot more seasoning. They're not ready. They have all come from programs that have positioned them extremely well, if not exceptionally well, to make their pro debuts. Now, is every one of them going to be ready? No. Got a great program now in Laval led by a great head coach, they will fill that time. They will take care of those missing skills, and they will develop those players, whoever they might be. But there's going to be a lot more people than people think that are ready to play. I don't know how you can look at the talent pool that I started off this episode with and think, oh my God, Montreal's going to have a problem making a roster. The biggest problem will probably be finding a place for as many of them that are actually ready to play now. That's going to probably be the bigger challenge. But I, for the life of me, am completely lost with everybody that wants to bring back P.K. Subban. Everybody said they needed Pierre-Luc Dubois, Jonathan Hubideau, or Montreal's got to make a trade for another veteran defenseman. No, they don't. No, they don't. Because again, one of the things that's become very clear that the organization is doing is they have a plan. And it's not about wins right now. It's about development. It's about chemistry. It's about setting up long-term success. Do they want to win? Of course, every organization wants to win. You know, nobody wants to see Montreal go like 0-82 or something. Although there are counter-Bedard fanatics that would love to see that because, of course, that would guarantee them that pick. That being said, 
different state of mind right now. They are in a different position right now. They're actually in a position of envy by a lot of teams because there's really not a lot of pressure on a lot of people. But if you look at Montreal's defense right now, for anybody that says they lack players or positions to be filled, you've already got Joel Edmondson, you got Mike Matheson, you got David Savard, Chris Weidman, and Jordan Harris. You've got Corey Schooneman, you've got Otto Leskinen that you can bring up, you've got Madison Boy. You got a lot of people that can fill the gap if these players truly aren't ready. Personally, I would say if Caden Gooley's going to play next year on the roster, he should have a top four position. There's a lot of people that would question that, going, oh, you can't rush a defenseman. Defensemen take longer. Well, the problem with that is you have to give him the minutes. And if you're not going to give him in the minutes and you're just going to stick him on a third line defensive pairing that's going to get like 10 or 11 minutes a game, if that, he's better off on Laval. Because he needs the minutes. He is, honestly, a number one or two defenseman. There's a lot of people also doubting him. Oh, well, you know, Montreal doesn't have a true number one defenseman. The heck they don't. They got a couple of them that could very easily turn into number one defensemen, starting with Caden Gooley. Don't underestimate these kids. And there seems to be a lot of that. And maybe that's a byproduct of a lot of people that have seen so many bad drafts or so many prospects not make it because the development system wasn't there. The development system is now there. But the development programs of the juniors, of the world teams, and of the U.S. development and the under-18 development programs in the United States have gotten extraordinarily better, okay? In addition to that, don't forget about, let's say all those other players, maybe they're not ready, don't forget you have some older players that are in their 20s. And it's scary when you say older players in their 20, but they are older than 18, 19, or 20-year-olds. And that's Johnny Fairbrother, Matthias Norlander, and Pateri Nermi. Okay? And as well as Miguel Torgany. They were overage draft picks this year. Both those guys are in their 20s. So if they're ready, play them. If they're ready, play them and give them minutes. My philosophy apparently is different than a lot of others. If these kids come in and they're better than what you had or that you have on the roster, why would you send them down? One of the greatest things Mark Bergevin ever said was, it's the player that makes the decision for us. He always said he would have no problem making a trade that another player or prospect forces. If somebody's ready and it improves Montreal's roster, play them. I personally think this exhibition season is going to be extremely interesting. A lot of these kids are going to push for jobs. All the ones I mentioned before and many, many other ones. It's going to be interesting to see if this pushes anybody out of a job, such as Jonathan Drouin. If it creates a need to unload Evgeny Donatov. If it creates a need to unload Paul Byron. Does everybody realize that that's roughly $14 million of salary right there? So Montreal is going to have a lot of cap money suddenly come off the payroll. And that's just those three players. What's it do to players potentially such as Christian Dvorak, Joel Armia, Josh Anderson, Jake Evans, Jake Allen? There's a lot of possibilities that these players could push a lot of those players out, which then for Montreal's benefit as an organization could net them a lot more assets moving forwards, a lot more capital as far as at the draft, could end up obtaining a lot more high draft picks. And even if a player like Duran or Evgeny Donatov have career years, that should only increase their trade value. That should in no way have anybody saying, oh, we got to get their name on another contract. This is absurd. We can't let them go now. Oh, yeah, you can. Yes, you can. 
because of their age and because of the length of contracts and how they previously performed. If they happen to have career years this year, you maximize that trade value. There is absolutely no reason to have their name on another contract. And I have to say that the trades I've seen the organization make, there seems to be a deft touch at maximizing return and leveraging the trade to a certain team. It's the type of trading people haven't seen for a long time in the NHL. Takes you back to people like the great Sam Pollock, amongst others, as far as a general manager that can literally trade out aging or big-name players for star rookie possibilities or draft capital that would become far more valuable to the team or cornerstones of the team in the future. As we're talking about trades, here's another trade that I just kind of touched on last week that some people would probably lose their mind over. He's undoubtedly the heart and soul of the team right now and has been pretty much since he started in his rookie year, and that's Brendan Gallagher. What if you were to package him and Mike Hoffman and send them to Calgary? Right off the bat, that's another $11 million off your payroll. And I'm not just making these trades or, or suggesting these ideas because it's clearing cap space on your payroll. Because in the case of Duran, Donatoff, and Byron, their contracts end this year. The chances of them coming back to Montreal next year, I don't know what type of miracle season they would have to have to make that happen. I just don't see that in any of their futures. There's way too many kids in the waiting that are ready now, like Raphael Harvey-Pennard, amongst others. Jesse Ulanen that are ready for positions easily on the third line right now that could take those spots. But what if you were to package Brendan Gallagher and Mike Hoffman to Calgary? Calgary not only lost a lot of offense, they lost some leadership. They've gotten some of the offense back, of course, with Jonathan Huberdeau, but Gallagher gives them leadership. Now, hear this trade out for a second because people are going to go, oh my God, you're not getting hardly anything for these guys. Sometimes trade return comes in the form of cap relief or contract relief is a better way to put this particular one. Because Gallagher still has multiple years left at $6.5 million annual hit to the cap. What if as a return for Gallagher, you got center Sean Monaghan, who ironically makes exactly $6.5 million a year. The difference is he's a couple years younger and this is his last year of his contract. You just got rid of four years of $6.5 million. That's kind of a win in itself, but you also got a 27-year-old, Sean Monaghan, who, by the way, is 6'2", by the way, is younger, healthier, to be determined. He's had some health issues as well, but maybe you can use him as part of a package deal and flip him and gain something else. That's one option. The inclusion of Mike Hoffman, he's known as a one-trick pony. He's a scorer. Calgary obviously lost a lot of scoring, gives him another sniper, and Hoffman would probably fit perfect as the left wing on their third or second line, probably third. And for Mike Hoffman, maybe you get a third-round pick in the 2023, 2024, or 2025 drafts. At this point, you just unloaded $11 million of salary. You got a draft pick for Hoffman, and to be determined, because you got rid of four years at $6.5 million. So that's, what, $25 million, $26 million? So that was one win. You got a younger center for the season, so that's another one. And maybe you can flip them to somebody else and get either a second or a third round pick for him to someone else. Or maybe if you really hit the lottery on him, you can get a late first round pick for him. But probably a second round is going to be what you're going to get for him. Not a bad trade when it all irons out. And you got rid of another long-term contract. That was the big thing. This still puts Montreal in a prime position. That leaves you with other players that have been rumored to be leaving. Christian Dvorak, Josh Anderson, Joel Armia, 
And perhaps even you'll get another Ben Sherratt type request for a Joel Edmondson or a David Savard. Who knows? So you can either open the season with all those players still on the roster, which they will occupy legitimate needs for the Canadians, or you can make more trades either in the preseason, during the season, or at the trade deadline, and you've still got more assets coming. So Montreal is really in a win-win scenario that way. And maybe one of the trades that you make, as they've already gotten rid of center Ryan Paling, I thought Ryan Paling had a lot of potential. I think he was a solid third line and at very worst fourth line center. It's kind of similar for Jake Evans. I think Jake Evans fits in as a very legitimate third or fourth line center. I think he's a good defensive center. I think he certainly has proven and has turned out to be a lot more than anybody ever thought being a seventh round draft choice out of Notre Dame University in 2014. So you could make an interesting trade here and maybe trade Jake Evans to Vancouver for goaltender Michael DiPietro. You're kind of trading the future for the future. Trading two players that are at similar stages in their career, still haven't completely developed or evolved into what they will be eventually. And Montreal certainly at this point, I think the biggest question on the team at this point has to be goaltending. Not only how is Carey Price, if he's okay, how will he hold up? How many games he can play? I think all those questions also legitimately exist for Jake Allen because both he and Price were injured last year. And outside of those two guys, you do have Sam Montembeau, and Montembeau is capable of playing 32 games, I think. I think he could be a backup goaltender for you in the current stage of the team because the backup goaltender doesn't have to win when the starter is not in the goal like most teams want. Most most teams want a backup goaltender that is capable of winning on the off nights of their starter or to give their starter goaltender a break that way, but they also don't want to have the goaltending be greatly diminished quality-wise, thereby changing how the players play because of inabilities. So Jake Allen is a phenomenal 1A or backup goaltender without question. But as it proved last year, having him play number one goaltending minutes and amounts of games like Carey Price has predominantly done through his career probably isn't a real possibility. So with all that and knowing that Caden Primo isn't quite ready yet, not knowing what Caden Primo is going to evolve into, Michael DiPietro might be a really interesting pickup here. If people don't like giving the idea of giving up Jake Evans for that, what about Cameron Hill? that Montreal drafted a couple of years ago, who's currently playing in Laval. Very even trade. Well, that brings us to the end of episode six. Thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Stephen Stiles, and I will see you again next week with another great episode. Till then, take care.